Jacob Morgan is a five-time best-selling author, TED, and keynote speaker, and professionally trained futurist. Make sure to grab his new book, Leading with Vulnerability, which comes out October 3rd. In the book, he reveals insights about leadership and vulnerability gained from conversations with over 100 CEOs and 14,000 employees. In today's show, he talks about what being a futurist means and its importance for professionals, trends that job seekers should be paying attention to, in-person versus remote work, and leading with vulnerability. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Ramped Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. It's Jacob Morgan. Jacob, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we have been admirers for some time. You are very, very out there in a great way, talking about the future of work. You've got a book coming out. You seem to be everywhere. Before we jump in to our media discussion on what it's going to look like to work in the future, and a few more tips for some job seekers, tell us, who is Jacob Morgan? So I've written a few books. My fifth book is the one that's coming out very soon here called Leading with Vulnerability. So I'm an author. Um, speaker. I speak at a lot of conferences and events every single year, sharing some of the research and the concepts and the ideas from the books and from all the work that I do for organizations around the world. So very fortunate to be able to do that. I'm also a professionally trained futurist at the University of Houston. I received my professional certification in foresight and I create a lot of content. So I do videos, I do infographics, I have a sub stack, I have a podcast of my own. I really enjoy the content aspect of the work that I do on leadership and employee experience in the future. I'm also a dad to two kids, a husband, trying to figure out the family life just as much as I'm trying to figure out the work life. Lovely, wonderful. I'm also a dad of two, so we got that in common and we could talk about that, I'm sure, on another podcast. But today, I definitely want to hear about the book. I definitely want to hear about speaking engagements. Before we actually even jump into it, for folks who don't know, what is a futurist? And give us some context on how you frame up different things for job market, the talent market, using that lens. Sure. So a futurist, you go on LinkedIn, for example, a lot of people have the futurist title in their LinkedIn profiles or their Twitter titles, just because it's kind of a cool thing to put. But I'd say 99.9% of the people who actually say futurist are not futurists. They've never received any kind of training for it. They never went to school for it. It just sounds cool. So they put it up. So really what a futurist does is they help make sure that people and organizations are not surprised by what the future might bring. So there is a master's degree that you can get in this. There's a professional certification that you can get in this. And it basically teaches you how to think critically about different scenarios, about how to think about the future. And it's kind of a set of tools and frameworks that you can apply in your regular work so that you can try to anticipate and think about what future scenarios might bring. It's not that dissimilar to playing a game of chess. And so one of the things that separates really good grandmasters from amateur players like me is that top grandmasters have the ability to calculate and to anticipate and to see several moves in the future. Well, they don't do that just from magic. I mean, they do that through a series of tools that they use, whether it's pattern recognition combined with intuition, combined with calculation, combined with positional understanding of what's going on in the chessboard. So similarly, if you're playing a game of chess, so you don't just move your bishop and then say, well, my opponent might move their pawn and then stop there. You say, well, if I move my bishop, my opponent can do one of these three or four things. And if my opponent does 
one of those three or four things. I'm already going to have kind of a response prepared. And so you never want to be sitting at the chessboard where your opponent makes a move and you say, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. That's never a pleasant position you want to be in. Similarly, in work and in life, you never want to be in a position where something happens to you and you're like, wow, I never saw that coming because that is usually a recipe for disaster. You know, you kind of put on your back foot where you try to figure out a way out. It's far more effective instead to try to anticipate what the future might bring. And it's interesting because we do a pretty good job of this in our personal lives. Pretty decent job, right? I mean, if you go out on a date with somebody for the first time, immediately you're already thinking, well, can I see me going on a second or a third date? Can I see myself spending the rest of my life with this person? Can I see myself bringing this person home to my parents? If you buy a house, immediately you start thinking, well, what's going to be the property value like? Is it going to be good schools? Like you start to have this process of thinking about scenarios and possibilities in your personal life. But for some reason, when we show up to work, all of that stops. And the only thing we focus on is what's the task I need to do? What's the project I need to do? What's my deadline? And you're only thinking about the things that are in front of you. And that foresight, that futurist brain of yours gets shut down to the point where you can't see past what's right in front of you. And I think that's the danger that we see in a lot of organizations, because when you only focus on the next step, you could easily get surprised by something. And all of a sudden you're left kind of stranded in the middle of nowhere. And I think we see that a lot. Yes. Okay. I'm very, very glad that you are touching on all these topics. Futurist does seem kind of catchy these days. I definitely notice it a lot in the LinkedIn headline for sure. Yeah. It's good to know we're talking to you, if not one of the most expert, knowledgeable people in the world, but you have that certification, you are an actual futurist. And I think this is important because right now we're in this time where the job market is rapidly changing. The last time I personally saw this was 2009, around when I graduated. And that was crazy. And it seemed at that time, no one really saw it coming. There were, of course, people who yeah. were early on the housing market collapsing. And there were obviously people who like looked in and saw something. But the extent of it and the reaction to it, I don't think anybody was really prepared for. So today we're living in a different, but it kind of echoes or rhymes with what's happened in the past. So what do you do if you're a job seeker using your lens to prepare yourself for the challenges ahead and think proactively about what could happen to you? Well, I mean, if you're a job seeker now, you really need to take a step back and look at the environment that we're in. What are the skills that are in demand? What is it that people are looking for? And not just today, but going forward over the coming years. So if I was a job seeker right now, I would be really paying attention to generative AI. I would be really paying attention to what's going on with things like ChatGPT, with MidJourney, with all these different tools and platforms out there that are going to be making their way into organizations for blue collar and even white collar jobs. I mean, even right now, for example, I use MidJourney and people not familiar with it. It's AI image generation. And even for me, I use or I try to use something like MidJourney as a way to create these really cool images and graphics. But part of what you need to understand with MidJourney or with any generative AI is how to use it in a way where you give the right prompts to these AI tools so that they can give you back the responses or the images that you're looking for. And so if I were a job seeker, I would immediately be paying attention to something like, huh, okay, well, AI is making its way into the workplace. I don't necessarily need to know how to code AI or how to create AI, but maybe one area is how do I teach people how to use AI? How do I master the ability to create prompts for something like generative AI, like ChatGPT or MidJourney? I mean, that's just one example, but I would really be paying attention to the direction that we're going in. Technology is, of course, 
one side of it. The other side of it is what does this mean? Well, if we see more technology infused into our organizations, it would stand to reason that one of the challenges are going to be focusing on the human aspects of work. Leadership, coaching, mentoring, being able to motivate and inspire people, push people, unlock the potential of others. So I would really be paying attention to those types of things inside of organizations and just looking at the overall trend of the business landscape. There's a lot of uncertainty. So we see a lot of organizations, for example, saying that they're trying to get their employees to go back to the office. Over the past few years during the pandemic, there was a lot of power that shifted from organizations to the hands of employees. And I think it actually got to be a little bit too much because we were in situations where employees and prospective candidates, they were asking to make more money than their boss's boss. They wanted equity in the company. They wanted all these perks and benefits. And on top of that, they didn't even want to show up to work. And that's not a sustainable model. It's funny, there was a video I just saw, and I don't know the full context of it, but it was the owner of Barstool Sports. It was a company that was acquired, and then he recently bought the company back. And he did a funny video of himself where he shows up to work, and it's 9.45 in the morning, and he's doing a video, and he's like, where the hell is everybody? Because the company that acquired Barstool Sports basically said, oh yeah, everybody work from home, like do whatever you want, and the company was going through some tough times. So the new CEO who took his company back over shows up to work, and it's empty. And he's walking around just cursing like, mother this, mother that, where is everybody? How is this business operational? And it's literally empty. And I think we're now going through a point where we're starting to see the power get a little bit more centralized and swung back in the hands of organizations. But I think a lot of employees, you know, it was too much in their hands. And a lot of the CEOs and a lot of the people that I talked to will all agree, some on camera, some off camera, that it feels like a lot of people don't even want to work anymore. It feels like customer service has gotten worse. It feels like things have, have slowed down. It's not the same yep. where it yep. was a couple of years ago. Even just in organizations and headquarters, it could be anything. Well, you know, you want to find somebody to help clean your house. You have a pool to clean your pool. You go to a restaurant, service in general, like everything has just gotten smacked down to the point where it feels like we're not even trying. And I think yep. part of it is because too much power shifted into the hands of employees. So if I was a prospective job candidate, I would really be paying attention to that trend and not trying to overplay and overstep my hand. And I would be focusing on the value that I could bring to the business instead of how much I can extract from the business. I think we're seeing a resurgence and a revival of the concept of working hard because it feels like that aspect of work has taken a hit to the point where people are going on TikTok and social media and they're talking about, what is it, like Lazy Mondays or, you know what I mean? Have you seen that trend on quitting, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lazy Mondays where people go to work and they're like, oh, you know, it's Monday. I'm trying to ease into work. I'm not going to do anything hard today. I'm just going to kind of lounge and this and that. If I'm the owner of the business or if I'm a leader in the business and I see you doing that, you're getting out of there. I'm sorry. Like we are forgetting to understand what work is right? And it's not to say that we shouldn't treat our employees well and focus on the employee experience, but we also need to be realistic that you are supposed to work. You're not just supposed to go into an office and just chill and get free food and lounge on a couch. Like that's not what you're getting paid for. And so we're seeing just this really interesting and fascinating trend that I hope will reverse where we will prioritize hard work. So if I'm a job candidate and I'm interviewing for different companies, I'm hardworking. I'll do whatever it takes. You know, the learning mindset, growth mindset, those are all really important things to be highlighting in the job market right now. Okay, really, really thoughtful answer. There's a lot to unpack on that one too. I think we have, obviously, we're at the forefront here ramped of the AI trend. We are a platform that uses AI to help job seekers 
pretty much exclusively. And we have also seen over the past three, four years since our existence, a big shift, a swing at the beginning of COVID where nobody had jobs or everybody was furloughed and the world was ending and it was crazy. A big boom where there were too many people hired. And now you're kind of seeing the result of that and this weird, you know, obviously some macro trends, interest rates, all of this, all in one, just, hey, let's get back to quote unquote where we were. I'm curious to know because there are so many people, I agree with you, that are apathetic to the where we were scenario who have gotten used to working from home. Look, I'm in my home office. I've got to, I don't see myself going back to an office full-time. However, having graduated in 09 and having my parents tell me, you take the first job you get and you work your butt off uh, to impress everybody. And I did take that advice, but I also loved being in office and learning from people and growing and having meetings. And after the meeting, even just being able to side chat somebody yep. and say, tell me a little bit more about that presentation. I don't understand, but like, yep. I'm really curious. Tell me more. Okay. So now we're in this this crazy half in, half out environment. And I know the pendulum is swinging, but what do we do with it? Are we just hard and fast going back to the office? Are we hybrid in the future? What does that look like from this point forward? I've always been a big believer and advocate in hybrid work. And I think a lot of people confuse what hybrid work means. Hybrid work does not mean you work full-time from home. Hybrid means that you blend virtual with in-person. And it means that you have to understand the work and the role that you are performing. If you are focusing on something like training and development, growth, executive presence, things like that, that is far more conducive towards an in-person environment. If you're just on the phone and you have meetings and calls and things like that, sure, be at home. If you're writing, you're creating content, you're working on a presentation, sure, be at home. But I think instead of just focusing on the days that you're at work, the days that you're at home, we should be focusing on what is the type of work that you're doing and what's the environment that it's most conducive for you to be in. So Hybrid is a blend. Sometimes you need to come into the office, right? I mean, that expectation should be set. Sometimes you might need to come into the office. Sometimes it's okay for you to be working at home. The idea that people are getting upset that they have to go into an office to work blows my mind. The idea that you were hired by a company, the company is saying, great, you have the job. Can you please come into work? And you going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I have to come in to work? I can't do that. That to me is, I'm not going to curse on your podcast, but that is just dumb. That's the very definition. That's why the building is there for you to go into work. For you to show up, let people see you, have that collaboration, have those discussions. Does it mean you need to show up every single day from nine to five? No. But does it mean that you're never going to be there? Also no. So I think that's one aspect. The second aspect is you need to understand your expectations. So if you are the type of person where maybe you are working in customer service or in a call center and you say, you know what? I just want to do this for the rest of my life. I just want to pick up the phone and talk to people. I never want to go into an office. I never want to be a supervisor. I never want to get ahead. You know what? That's your choice. But I don't know anybody like that. Most of the people I know, they start off in a particular role and they're always interested in learning and growth and development and then trying to get ahead. Now, if I have two employees that I'm working with, and let's say they're both in customer service, one of those employees is sometimes coming into the office and one time is not, and the other one is never coming into the office, which one do you think is likely going to get the job? Even though they're both performing on the same level, it's going to be the one where I see them 
where I can have those conversations with them, where I see their presence, where I see their body language, where maybe we can have those casual conversations, where I can train them in a different environment. So it's not just good for the business as a whole, but it's also good for you as an individual to let your presence be felt and known. Same thing for me, right? When I give talks, can I give talks virtually behind a camera and stare at a screen? Sure. But if a company is looking to hire speakers and somebody else is saying, hey, I'll go give the talk in person on stage. And I say, you know what? I'm happy to do it behind a screen. Who are they going to hire? It's different, right? I mean, they're going to hire the person who's going to go on the stage because like it or not, there is a value to the in-person aspect of it. It's not always as convenient. Sure, it's great to always be at home. It's great to always be in your pajamas, to walk around and go from room to room and not have to you know, commute. I get it. It's convenient. But convenience doesn't necessarily mean that it is the best thing to be doing. Convenience doesn't equate to growth. Comfort does not equate to growth. Sometimes you have to do things that are uncomfortable, that are not convenient, that are not easy because it's good for you and it's good for the company that you're working with. It's good for your team and it just makes sense for everybody that's there. So again, I do believe in hybrid work, which is a combination of those two things. Sometimes you're going to be working at home. It's okay. Sometimes you're going to be in the office, but I think the expectations need to be set and we need to do a better job of understanding what's the work that we're doing and what environment does that work make sense to do in. Yeah, I really like that framework and how you framed it up for us. What is the work first? Is that conducive to homework? Fine, do it at home. If it's not, then come in. That makes straightforward sense there. And the other thing that I noticed, it was just reminding me of this too, is when you said the virtual speaker thing. I don't know if you remember during COVID when shows like SNL would do these like virtual, not in front of an audience stage type of skit and it was just like it was brutal it was obviously yeah. worse the quality yeah. was worse it was different but it's like being a virtual speaker i feel like you have to be either super super famous or you have to craziest production even if you are super famous and you have good production value it's never going to be as good as being on stage the other thing is i don't necessarily think that a lot of employees out there have the right to be upset that they're being asked to go into work if i have a building here in the Los Angeles area and I have 100 employees who work there and I say, hey, can you come into the office today? And I have employees who are getting mad at me. You don't have that right to get mad at me. I'm paying you. I have your benefits. I'm covering your insurance. I'm paying for this office for this exact reason because I want you here so that we can talk and so that we can collaborate. I don't think a lot of employees have that right to say, oh, how dare you ask me to go into the office? How dare you be paying me and giving me this job and ask me to do something and I'm supposed to do it? It's just gotten completely backwards. I think, inside of the corporate world. And we're starting to see very swift pushback across organizations. I mean, even Zoom is asking a lot of their employees to go back to the office. They're implementing more hybrid work policies. We see Disney doing this. We've seen finance companies do this. And honestly, it's about time. We've gotten so pushed in the other direction and you see commercial real estate prices plummeting, especially in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco. It's crazy. And now again, I'm not advocating everybody show up to work nine to five, five days a week. But if your leader says, hey, can you come into work today for a few hours or can you come into work on Friday or can you come in two or three days a week? The thought of somebody just saying, no, the hell with you, like, how dare you is just, it's crazy. I, I don't understand. It's crazy. It's crazy. I would agree. I just don't know what or who I would be without that. For sure, that first job in office, all my jobs up until yeah. COVID essentially were 
yeah. or in office. Now, and but but one thing I also like. want to point out, and I want to make it seem like it's simply the employees, right? I mean, as leaders inside of organizations, I also don't think that you as a leader should simply say, hey, I need you to come into work Monday through Friday, nine to five, just because I want to see you working. Like, I'm also not a favor of the opposite extreme. I mean, yep. I think it's okay for leaders to have and set those expectations and talk about it with their employees and say, hey, what does your typical day look like? What are the days where yep. you have a lot of meetings? What are the days where you don't have a lot of meetings where we can focus more on brainstorming and coming up with new ideas and stuff like that? And then kind of working together to create an environment that works for everybody. So on the one hand, I don't think employees have the right to say, I'm never coming into the office, the hell with you. But on the flip side of that, I don't think leaders should just be saying, let's get back to the 80s, the 90s, the 70s, where you come in nine to five, five days a week, just for the sake of doing. There needs to be a little bit more of a middle ground and more of a discussion. I agree with you. And two more points here before we ask that final question that we ask all our guests. But the first is, I do want a little bit more of your perspective on the impact all of this is having. I just read your article or your blog post on middle managers. They are being essentially thrashed, right? This is the crew that has been most or very affected by some of these recent layoffs. And it feels like that should have or could have been the crew that led the back to the office charge, but instead kind of shied away from it and got really used to it. And again, I feel mixed. We already talked about it. Could be a hybrid, could be, you know, when you're doing the right work, be in office, when you're not, be at home. But what can that crew stand to benefit from this change and how do they get themselves back into a situation where they're performing really, really highly? Well, part of it is really understanding what the role of mid-level managers. So traditionally, the role of a mid-level leader, mid-level manager was the top executives would give their orders. The mid-level leaders would then enforce their orders and tell everybody else what to do. And this was what it looked like in a very strict corporate hierarchy, right? The traditional pyramid where orders were passed down, the work was passed up, and there wasn't really a lot of collaboration going on. Now we're starting to see organizational structures which are much flatter in nature, where we're removing layers, where there's more collaboration, there's more communication, things are opening up. And so the traditional idea of I'm the top executive, I'm going to give people my orders, those people, my generals are then going to execute those orders, no longer makes sense. I mean, if that's the only role that a mid-level leader serves, then of course they should be replaced. Place because there's not a lot of value to that, especially as the organizations have opened up and especially as we're seeing more collaboration and more communication. And so the mid-level leaders are finding themselves in a very tough spot now, right? Because they are supposed to do things like solve customer problems, yet they don't have any say in developing the products or services. They're supposed to make sure that the organization hits their financial goals and their numbers, yet at the same time, they don't play a role in setting those forecasts. They're supposed to implement change and transformation, yet they don't set the vision for what that transformation is going to look like. And that is uh, kind of the big challenge for mid-level leaders. And so I think what we need to do a better job of is redefining what the role of mid-level leaders is. And a big part of that is giving mid-level leaders more accountability, more responsibility, more authority to make strategic business decisions. And also view mid-level leaders, not just as kind of the generals that enforce things, but viewing them as the coaches, the mentors, the advisors, the culture champions, the transformation agents who have the ability to take the organization and grow it and transform it and move it kind of into the next generation of work. And if we start to view mid-level leaders like that, 
then we start to see they're an invaluable resource. They're an invaluable asset. We shouldn't be replacing them. We should be training more yep. of them. We should be redefining what their role looks like. So I really believe that mid-level leaders mm-hmm. serve a very important and crucial role inside of organizations. Unfortunately, we just haven't done a good enough job of redefining what that role looks like because we're still operating in the corporate framework as if these mid-level leaders were operating in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even the 90s. And that's really not the world that we're in anymore. So if we can do those things, I think mid-level leaders play a very significant role. And that very much ties into the new book that I have, Leading with Vulnerability, because one of the things that I focus on there is the essence of combining vulnerability with leadership, competence with connection. And too often inside of organizations, we're taught to do one or the other. We're either taught, oh, it's good to be vulnerable. Talk about your emotions and feelings and your challenges and struggles. Or we say, you know what, just be really good at your job and shut all that other stuff down. And the reason why that doesn't make sense is because if you're really good at the vulnerability piece and I were to go to one of your peers and I would say, hey, what do you think about Joe as a leader? They would say, well, you know, Joe is really good at his job. Joe's able to close a lot of deals, bring in a lot of business. Joe's great. But unfortunately, I don't have that connection with Joe. I don't have that human relationship with Joe. I don't feel motivated and inspired by Joe, even though Joe is good at his job. Similarly, the flip side of that is also true. Let's say Joe is a mid-level leader and Joe is now really good at the vulnerability piece, the connection piece. And somebody would ask me, what do you think of Joe as a leader? And I would say, oh my goodness, Joe is amazing. I get motivated and inspired by Joe. We have great chemistry. We have this great relationship together, but I'm not sure Joe is the best person to be leading this team or this function because Joe hasn't really been demonstrating his competence, his ability to do his job well. And so if you really only focus on vulnerability, people will view you as incompetent. Similarly, if you only focus on leadership and the competence piece, people are going to view you as a robot. So leading with vulnerability is this concept of bridging together both. And so let me just give you one more anecdotal example. Vulnerability is you give me a project or you give me a task. If I screw it up, I show up to work and I say, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry. I know you asked me to do this. I messed it up. That's vulnerability, admitting to the mistake. Leading with vulnerability would be that same scenario, but now now I say, hey, I know you gave me this project to do. I'm sorry I screwed it up, but here's what I learned from the mistake. Here's what I'm going to do going forward to make sure that mistake does not happen again. And so I never advocate for anybody to simply just be vulnerable all the time. It doesn't mean that you can never do it, but if you have a continuous trend and a pattern where all you do is you show up to work and you talk about mistakes and failures and challenges and struggles and you don't add that leadership piece, eventually those around you are going to say, hey, you know what? Maybe you don't belong in that role. So the best piece of advice that I can give, whether it's for a job seeker, whether it's a mid-level leader or a top executive, is always lead with vulnerability. Bring together competence and connection. You have to demonstrate that you are trying to close that gap if there is one, that you're trying to get better, that you're learning, that you're growing. Don't just say, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Don't just say, I'm struggling. Try to add that leadership piece to all of those things, and I think you're going to find that you will see much greater success in your role in your leadership career. Super timely, super, super poignant advice. And on trend, specifically with the new job seeking community as well, there's so much about how we go about our day to day that is just done, like just because it's the way we used to do it. So whether it's legit, the middle management function in an organization acting like in the 60s or 70s, applying to jobs with a resume and a cover letter the same way that we did in the 60s and 70s, it's all kind of jumbled into this who's asking the why, right? Like who's asking the why are we doing this way? It's just kind of happening. And I'm really, really excited to check out the book. I know it comes out on October 3rd. 
So yep. leading with vulnerability will be something that we share not only with our audience, but I will check it out as well. We made a special URL for the book because, uh, you know, it's hard to tell people to go to an Amazon page. So people who are interested in ordering it, of course, it's available wherever you can find a book. But uh, the URL we made for it is called leadwithvulnerability.com. That's easy yeah. enough. So leadwithvulnerability.com. Get it today. So last thing we ask all our guests on season four of the rap podcast and in all of our seasons is if you could go back in time now that you have the benefit of hindsight what is the one piece of advice you would give yourself as you are entering into your career it would be lead with vulnerability because i never believed in vulnerability of any kind i thought it was weakness i thought it was dumb i thought it wasn't for me because that's the environment that i grew up in with my dad from the former USSR, tough guy off the Eastern Bloc, always told be mentally number one, physically number one, don't admit to weakness, don't talk about your problems. And so that's how I lived for pretty much my adult life. And if I could go back in time, I would give myself the advice of be more comfortable leading with vulnerability. Again, not just talking about the mistakes or the failures, but bringing in the competence piece too. Super, super great advice and something we don't hear enough. So Jacob, thanks for sharing that message. Lastly, although I feel like we could talk for hours and hours, you have so much knowledge and information and folks can easily, easily find you online. So I'm very pumped about that. Where can folks find you? What is the best place to connect with you? My personal website is thefutureorganization.com. That's where you can see links to all my social channels, the books, the speaking, et cetera. I mentioned the book URL, which is leadwithvulnerability.com. And for people who want to get access to the content, I also have a Substack. It's called greatleadership.substack.com. Sweet. Well, Jacob, this has been amazing. Thanks for the conversation. We'll post all those links in the show notes. We really, really hope to have you back someday on the ramp podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.